1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy... This episode, we take up Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Popcorn in Compliance, the MCU series is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Megan Doherty for our continued exploration of all things MCU. As our listeners know, we are back with the MCU challenge, and that challenge is to go through the entire MCU Universe on popcorn and compliance. Why? Well, not only because it's there, but because we're MCU uber geek fans. We are reviewing these movies in chronological order, not uh, by release date. So today we continue with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Megan, um, did you said when we reviewed Guardians of the Galaxy 1, you really uh, enjoyed it more on this, this mm-hmm. reviewing for this podcast series, did you feel the same about number two? Um,
0: I did. I, I definitely did. Um, uh, it it's sort of like happens with the other MCU movies and series. Uh, I, I really feel a lot more like I know these people uh, this time, and I was really invested in seeing what happened to them next. Even though I, I technically knew, uh, in fact, when, when I finished, I was I was so excited to keep kind of having story with them. I started watching Infinity War uh, just so I could I could see when they kind of formed up with, with the rest of the team. Um, but yeah, I thought it was it's a delightful movie to rewatch. Uh, it's always kind of fun when something that may not seem like, uh, you know, the best or the most enjoyable the first time around actually does get a lot better on second and, uh, you know, possibly third or fourth viewings.
1: What about yourself? Let me take everything you said, put it on steroids and take it exponentially <laughs> further because <laughs> of all the MCU movies, I disliked the first viewing. This was probably number one. I didn't understand ego. Mm -hmm. I couldn't fit it into what was going on. Uh, I didn't really understand the character, Uh, but I did this time. And I really, really enjoyed it. And actually, I enjoyed it on a much deeper level than simply the action movie in many ways that I um, saw in uh, Guardian of the Galaxies 1. Uh, I heard a lot of philosophy I saw a lot of family dynamics. I saw, um, and let me let me kind of jump ahead to the one of the plot themes I want to talk about, and that's the Sovereign and the people, the Sovereign. And they're yeah. headed by a, a character named the Sovereign who happens to be a woman. And they um, think they are just the cat's meow. And uh, they treat everybody else <laughs> who's... Uh, who's not them, not like the cat's meow. And it's not clear to me why they think they're so great, but they're like every snob I've ever met. And um, they're very good looking snobs. I'll give them that. And uh, they're all in gold. (laughs) And uh, of course that brings up, uh, you know, Goldfinger for me. But here's the thing I wanted to, to focus on. And it's almost philosophical. At one point they steal some batteries, which is the, basis of the the planet's wealth of these very special batteries and the guardians steal some batteries and the sovereigns go after them and they go after them with their fleet of ships but their fleet of ships are remote drones and when a ship is disabled the drone pilot who's basically running a computer monitor stands up and leaves their computer monitor and that means they're dead and It struck me, Megan, that when I saw that, the reason the sovereigns have such an unrealistic view of themselves in reality is that they have reduced the horror of war to a video game, literally, and they do not understand that war is horrible, it is messy, people die, um, planets are destroyed, you lose loved ones— all the things that make people not want to go to war, they have removed. And there was an episode from Star Trek where that had happened. And in that movie, or that episode rather, they had uh, reduced uh, warfare between two planets to computer simu- simulations. And if you died, you were reported to a disintegration chamber. And it, that was it. Um, you did physically die, but there was no, nothing else and no damage to a planet. And it, it, it really struck me that by reducing the horrors of some of the things that you and I would call humanity, even if they're negative, to a game or to a video console, you really lose that connection. And And I don't know if my mind sp- spiraled out away from there, but it seemed to me that that was one of the reasons okay. they were so unrealistic in how they viewed themselves and others is they would reduced everything to not really a, you know, a pleasure planet sort of situation, but a a planet where they they thought they were better than the rest of the galaxy, and they didn't understand and and, and really treated everyone else like that. So that was um, I saw that kind of philosophy uh, throughout this, and and that kind of philosophical bend also extended to ego. Um, the Kurt Russell character, who is the father of Peter Quill, and that whole scene where they go to the planet. Um, there was a lot of, uh, foundational Greek myths in that. And, um, also mm-hmm. a lot of philosophy, uh, are, are, if you, you want to go down the religion belt, uh, you can do that too. But Ego said he, I think he said he traversed the galaxy, not realizing what he was. And then that finally, at some point he achieved consciousness, and af- as in a brain, and then after he achieved consciousness, he was able to uh, form a corporeal body, and that's almost straight out of Genesis, a little different, but almost straight, and so mm-hmm. I really saw that level and appreciated the movie in a very different way than I did not appreciate the first time, but also almost in a different way than uh, really any other movie in the MCU. We have seen characters have growth. We have seen characters have origins and and tie what they do today to what they, happened to them as children or, or how they were brought up, or in, in Bucky Barnes' case, what happened to him um, to become the Winter Soldier. But I really saw a level of philosophy here that I really, really enjoyed, uh, which I was not expecting uh, on this time around, and I've droned on now for quite a while, so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know what uh what did you see in this movie was it uh anything close to what i saw or do you did you see it for the kind of fun story it was
0: uh well i, I didn't get quite as deep uh into the philosophy as, as i think you did um the one that really got me is similar to the last one um, but even more so was was family yeah and it started right at the beginning with the team fighting the the you know battery stealing squid monster um well while well, Groot's having his little hangout and dance at the front and everyone's taking care of him and so you know after after adult Groot's self-sacrifice at the end of the last movie um they've all kind of become co-parents to this little baby tree uh in a really charming way and, and his relationship uh the the Groot's relationship with the rest of the team changes and deepens over the rest of the movie too i just thought that was that was really really charming um you know, particularly his um connection with quill, uh how that changed, uh, and you know quill having finally found uh, his own fathers uh, started to become a better one to Groot, uh, which was just pretty great uh, and the that I think was one of my favorite um subplots was kind of the revelation of who Yondo really was as a character, um, you know, cause he seems like, you know, the leader of the pirates at first and he's really tough and he's really mean. Um, but, you know, he realized he had been terribly misled about all of the children he was ferrying um, to ego. Um, and, and he saved, saved little Peter and raised him as his own, he, not treating him particularly nicely, uh, but he did, you know, prevent him from having a much worse death and watching that um, kind of come to fruition over the movie. And then Peter realizing what had happened. Uh, that was, that was, that was pretty touching. All over, all around.
1: Uh, you know that brings up another level uh, that I had not thought about when I first saw the movie. At at some point, there is a mutiny on uh, the <sighs> Ravager ship, and um, Quill is overthrown, and his first mate is part of the mutiny. But the mutiny very quickly spirals out of control to the point where all of the supporters of Quill are thrown out an airlock. And there's a pretty poignant scene where one is thrown out and you see the graveyard of all of those who've been thrown out. And it really drove home for me just how tenuous uh, being a pirate could be. Mm -hmm. Um, Things could flip immediately. No honor among thieves. And when um, there was a character called Taserface who was kind of leading the rebels, um, you know, they may be great fighters and they may be, um great debauchers but they nobody could lead them and they didn't have a leader and quill did and could lead them and they were really lost without quill and yeah they overthrew him but then they didn't know what to do next
0: well i thought it was it's pretty uh, interesting you say there was no honor amongst thieves because i think that was I, I i thought the fact that there was this honor and this code among the different ravager factions um that caused yondo and quill's faction to be kind of ousted from it was was one of the interesting ways to go about it um And
1: then, you know, that really was. But I have to say, I was I was so overwhelmed by seeing (laughs) Sylvester Stallone in that role uh, as the head of the Ravagers. (laughs) And uh, I had completely forgotten he was in this movie. And um, well, you want to take it all the way then and tie it to the very end about the funeral scene and explain that, uh, because I found that incredibly poignant, too. We'll be right back with more on Guardians of the Galaxy 2 after this quick message from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check.
0: Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
1: of America and a member FDIC. I had to do
0: anything. What is it with the MCU and these gorgeous, heart-wrenching funerals? Because... Uh, Man, they are not pulling any punches with it. But when all the different Ravager factions came back to honor the death of Yonda, who thought he was still an exile and would never kind of you know reach the the afterlife or, or have the honor kind of that is traditional among um, these, we don't deal in kids pirates. Uh, seeing everyone come back and release the fireworks and watch his body kind of disintegrate and go into space, uh, it was it was such a lovely goodbye and such um, a nice way to wrap up and, and legitimize the fact. That while he did wrong, he did also do penance, um, you know, and and ultimately changed his ways, and then was finally rewarded for it. Um, so I thought that was uh, just one visually beautiful, but also quite emotionally touching.
1: Um, in terms of uh, cookies, any cookies that really stood out for you?
0: For a lot of this movie and a lot of the last one, I just like wrote down things I found hilarious. Um, the way Peter Quill talked about movies and TV shows as if they were Earth legends, um, was just consistently funny. <laughs> and the way the rest of the Guardians constantly misunderstood them <laughs> and how they work. I wrote that one of my favorite, I think, was uh Zarbu Hasselfrau um and his magical talking boat for David Hasselhoff the Knight Rider. Uh it was it was brilliant. Um and I thought that the tech was really cool. Uh, and the the way they were visually demonstrating the tech, so like the uh, little pads that you'd stick on that became, you know, a mask or a flight suit or or a space suit. And I just had down, you know, Iron Man is dreaming of this tech. Um, and, you know, on Earth also kind of developing it in a silo with the, with the nanotech for the, the Iron Man suit. Um, and then pretty much any time Mandis and Drax were engaging in conversation, uh, I found catastrophically funny.
1: Uh, yeah, Drax was, I don't want to say revelation, because we obviously met him uh, in Guardians 1, but the humor he brought and the humor they allowed uh, him to, Dave Batista, the uh, actor, to bring, and, and he played it perfectly. It was a complete straight man, and he played it as if he didn't know he was being funny, and it made it even more funny and here we have this big bulking behemoth with uh, you know arm muscles as big as our thighs and he's playing this straight man and he's doing it perfectly and uh, I just love that sort of uh, development of uh, his character and then um, the the other character that really uh, I had not fully appreciated uh, until I rewatch this movie was mantis Uh, Mm -hmm. i had forgotten that she was a slave uh i had thought she was like you know executive assistant or something (laughs) on planet Eco, uh but she was she was a slave and she was there to calm ego's mind so that he could go to sleep which is her skill as an empath Mm -hmm. and um she is able to use that skill to help them uh, not only save their lives, but uh, also escape. And of course we're, we're going to see her later. But, uh, I, I really felt like, um, the scenes with her, particularly the early scenes were very poignant because even when she wanted to escape, she still had that kind of slave mentality that uh, I'm a slave and, and he's the boss and, you know, I can't double cross him kind of thing. So, uh, that was really, um, also a great character for me. Um, Anything else along those lines?
0: Oh, well, let's see the uh, the the relationship between uh, Rocket and Yondo was pretty great, and how they really yes. saw each like really saw themselves in each other, uh, and really kind of came to acknowledge the difficulty they have with interpersonal intimacy. Um, I, like they went pretty like it was it was almost it felt like a therapy setting. Uh, the way they were really getting through to each other, um, and really. You know, being self-aware about these lacks that they might have or have had, uh, and then kind of moving forward past them, uh, I thought was was really lovely for like this this tiny genetically modified uh, raccoon that is just just ravenous for violence um, in a hysterical fashion.
1: It really was. We both enjoyed, <laughs> or actually, we love, the music from Guardians of the Galaxy One. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to also maybe bring up uh, the music here. It was a little, had a little mm-hmm. bit of different focus, Megan, I thought, because it wasn't just feel good music. We had things as diverse as Glenn Campbell with Southern Knights, George Harrison with My Sweet Lord, and uh, Fleetwood Mac with The Chain. But um, were there any songs uh, from this soundtrack that really uh, spoke to you? The Chain, Fleetwood Mac,
0: uh, one of my all time favorite bands. Uh, so hearing that uh, towards the beginning and then again towards the end, uh, I thought was was fantastic. And the way they used the same song twice was really, really effective. Um, uh, and I like the the Brandy or Fine Girl, I think is is it's called. And so the way first it was a song that was being enjoyed. Um, and then the lyrics were kind of being twisted by Ego to explain and justify his actions. I thought it was a really um, nice use for a piece of music. Um, so those were the the two that, that caught up to me. Um, I wish there'd been a little more Fleetwood Mac, but I always wish there had been a little more Fleetwood Mac. So that's that's just
1: the way it is. So I, I hope this doesn't destroy what little street cred I have, but I have always loved Brandy. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. It was favorite when it came out and it's favorite now. So I hope my daughter's not listening because I'll lose all street cred with her if I, Reveal that. um, But uh, it actually worked for me in the way he did it, uh, even with the way he manipulated it. um, Because I often think of, uh, I love science fiction movies and I love movies about space travel. And I think of people in space uh, to the 16th or 17th century or 18th century sailors crossing the ocean, where you had, it was just as big an unknown, it was just as big uh, your chances of, of death were just as great. (laughs) And, you know, I look at astronauts in many ways as a modern sailor. And so, um, my life, my love, and my lady is the sea. Uh, and my dad was a naval officer. So I I had a resonation with him and they're, they're men, I suppose, women too, that, you know, they love the sea and they love the open sea. And there's going to be those who are going to feel the same way about space. So I really found that poignant. And then the second one, though, is Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Mm. And for any boy who's had difficulty with their father, and that's all of us, uh, that song is just absolutely spot on. And other than Harry Chapin's Cat in the Cradle, I really can't think of another song that uh, would be more to a son than Cat Stevens' father and son. So like, at, at the end, that that was really, really poignant uh, to me. Um, when he shares with Groot. But once, again, <laughs> yeah. once again, the um, the soundtrack was just fabulous. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of the revelation of guardians one in the way they use that music in the soundtrack. It wasn't as big a revelation, but I absolutely enjoyed the music just as much in this one.
0: I know I did too. And, uh, uh, well, as you mentioned, at the top, there is going to be a Guardians 3 coming out uh, next year, which is extremely exciting. Uh, and we don't have to say goodbye to them for the MCU um, because they're going to be joining everyone uh, just a few movies from now. Uh, so we will get to visit with them again, which I'm looking forward
1: to. Uh, well, this is Tom Fox, and I hope you've enjoyed exploring the MCU with Megan Doherty and myself in this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. And I hope you will join us where, in the next episode, we take up Avengers Age of Ultron. Thanks so much for joining, and Megan, I can't wait. Until next time. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, the MCU series. I hope you will join Megan and I next time when we take up the Age of Ultron. Also, I'd like to tell you about a special podcast series that recently premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network trial of the century, the Enron trial, where with business journalist Lauren Steffi, who covered the Enron trial, we take a look at the trial of Enron as opposed to the bankruptcy. I know you'll enjoy it if you like fraud, if you like trials, or you just like a good story. Check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network.